Welcome to Mac Geek Cab episode 929 for Monday, May 23rd, 2022. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found because you send them in to us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com so that we can answer them throughout the week and once a week here on the show. Because the goal is that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. So that's that's a good way to do it. Answering questions is a good way to learn stuff. Sponsors for this episode include coda.io slash MGG, where you can create just one doc to rule them all. Very cool service. Uh, Collide at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG, where you can manage your user's device security and notify them about all kind of educate them via Slack. It's a cool integration. And then LinkedIn.com slash MGG, where you can go and post your first job for free. We'll talk more in depth about each of those a little bit later. For now, here, back here, I feel like it's been a while that I've done this here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And here in Lee, New Hampshire, Pilot Pete. Nice to be back with you, gents. Uh, it, David, it has been a while. You it, traveled, it, but you didn't do a remote show. I, I didn't because we recorded two before I left. Right. <laughs> we recorded the Synology episode. Um, out of order, by the way. Out of order, correct. Yeah, yeah that was that was interesting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure if we've done that before. I feel like there might have been a time when we did for some reason. But yeah, we recorded whatever it was, 928, then 927. And then I, then I took off to Portland to pick up my son. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I, I, you know, I used that Asus Zen screen for the for that trip because while I didn't do any remote podcast recording, it was a remote working trip for sure. You know, I had I had stuff that I needed to stay up with, and that 15 inch screen to travel with to connect to my laptop makes all the difference in the world for me. Uh, oh, that's, that's in cool. in terms of just being able to like immerse myself for a few hours in the morning be totally productive and then you know was able to go and like you know we we're moving our son out of college so it was you know there was stuff to do for sure and and we did have some sort of leisure time there as well but to to carve out those 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 moments to get some what i'll call you know, focused work done that extra screen for me right. makes a difference i think it's because i use multiple monitors at at my workspaces and so uh, yeah, let me let me jump in on that you yeah. uh, you asked me and i don't remember if it was on a show or a post show or at some point about, you know, what did my workflow involve extra screens and that sort of thing? And yeah. Like, yeah, no, it doesn't, but right. um, it, it hasn't needed to yet. So I started playing around with it. And this week, especially I've gone through several tutorials with the video up on my television screen oh. and me working on my laptop screen following along. Oh, okay. That's how it goes. Yeah. And so that's, that's pretty slick. What I was not able to do, and I think it's I think it's an account thing was to use my iPad because I have a separate Apple ID on my iPad so that uh, so that I don't mix and match personal and business because it's not my iPad. It's, it's right. A it's, company issued iPad. it's a company issued. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, there are ways with especially with Apple's new uh, device management. There's a beta thing I saw thing there. that's happening. Yeah. Right. That 
and the company would need to adopt it. But there wow. that we because we interviewed somebody from Apple on this show, actually, uh, a few months ago, I'll put a link in the show notes about uh, that, that whole system. And it allows you to have the work Apple ID manage, you know, the iPad that's owned by work, but also add your private, your personal Apple ID. And that data is actually kept private and sandboxed and all of those things. Oh, so, nice. okay. yeah, what, I mean, for for people that didn't catch it. What Pete's talking about is uh, you si- sidecar mode where you're using your iPad as a extra screen for your Mac doesn't work, only works for devices that are all signed into the same uh, Apple ID. And so, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Huh. I wonder someday if there I'll is a workaround. IPad again. <laughs> yeah, well, someday. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there's a workaround for that, though. Because it feels like I didn't find it. If there is, I'm sure there is, but I didn't find it. I, I, I yeah, I feel like there's like because you're not your situation is far from unique, right. right? Right, and so like I wonder if there's a way to log your Mac into your company account in a way that would enable that kind of connection without. Without adding all the other stuff. Like, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just, yeah. you know, like. Because you can be logged into multiple Apple IDs on a, on a laptop. Right? Yeah, but but yeah. one of them is very much the primary, right? Sure. And then the other is just there for syncing in general. But but I don't know. Maybe behind the scenes, it's like, yeah, well, syncing and, you know, sidecar. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and as Brian Monroe in our chat at MacGeekUp.com slash Discord points out that uh, universal control also needs to be logged in to the same oh, yeah. Apple yeah. ID for that to work. That's what, that's the one that universal control is in the beta now, right? Is that what I read? Y- yeah. Yeah. Universal control is in beta. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it, I, well, I mean, I guess it's, it's there. I had a, an interesting issue with universal control uh, this week at, that I was going to share in the, the quick tip segment. So, you know, let it be a PSA and, and let us enter the quick tip segment of the show. But um, I had been doing some stuff up here in the studio, and then I went downstairs to the office and started working on the Mac Mini down there. I suddenly lost the ability to control my computer with keyboard and mouse. Like, neither one, nothing. And it was like, okay, so I at first That's I thought... Kind of important. Yeah, at first I thought the trackpad had... Uh, you know, the, the battery had died in it. So I plugged it in and I saw like the, the, oh, yep. Connecting this way. And okay. It's, it sees it, move the trackpad around, nothing, keyboard, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I finally log in remotely from my phone and reboot the, the Mac, you know, my office. I'm like, okay. And as it comes back up, I start messing around. It's like, okay, great. Keyboard and mouse work. Great. As soon as it gets to a point where it's like started up, keyboard and mouse go away again. Like, okay, what is going on? And I realized it was universal control. I had pushed past the edge of my screen and I was controlling this computer up here unintentionally. And also with no indication on the screen of the device that I came from that I had left. Now, Mm. you know, Apple doesn't know that these two computers are in separate rooms, but again, I don't think my situation is unique. 
I, I know, which is why I share it on the show, yeah. that, that other people out there are going to run into this. So uh, I figured I'd not necessarily I'd, a bug, but a feature request. Maybe, oh, hey, something. by the way, you know, just a quick you're on the other computer. Now. Yeah, you've moved because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I know these features are there and it took me. I, you know, I burned 20 minutes trying to figure this out. Uh, Elvis has left the room. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. And I, what I'm surprised about is that this has not happened before. But the only difference is I turned off sleep on this iMac up here because of the Thunderbolt bug where Thunderbolt devices fall off the chain uh, in Mac OS 12.2 and later, including 12.4, I have proven. Uh so, uh, you know, they fall off the chain after the computer goes to sleep uh, after it's been rebooted. So I I don't want to have to deal with that. So I just turned off sleep for now. Well, Apple hopefully fixes it. So, yeah, interesting. So, you know, that's where we're at. That's, um, that's where we're at. Uh, let's see. Hey, what's, you got any quick tips today? We got more quick tips. We have quick tips from you folks. And listener Paul brings us to the first one, and I will find it. It's one of my favorite quick tips. I had no idea that this existed. If you go into the Finder and go to the View menu, Show Preview, or if you've if you've got it up already, then you know that you can do this. Hide Preview. Paul was was actually having a tr having a problem with previews sticking, and uh, I had no idea. Maybe we've talked about it on the show before, but I. It's not part of my my cognitive lexicon to know that there are previews available in Finder, and it it's actually a pretty cool little uh, little thing if you if you know what it is. But yeah, yeah, I've I've had it enabled for years. It never occurred to me that it that you could do it. <laughs> yeah, and I I love it. It's it's so oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, so much faster. It's faster. Yeah, you, you get the a really sort of contextualized get info window yeah. uh, right there. Yeah, it, it's I great. I wonder if, uh, though, yeah, it tells you the size of the file. Oh, it does down at the bottom. Like, for instance, in a photo, it gives you the resolution. Yeah. That's one of the really nice things. Say, hey, which one am I looking at? Is that the small version or the yeah. large version? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have an audio file here, and it shows me the duration and sample rate in addition to sort of the you know the, the created modified last opened all the metadata all the metadata yeah yeah it's a cool thing so thank you for unintentionally contributing that quick tip paul and hopefully the issue that you came up with um well, he was trying to hide it right he was, he was trying to hide it, it. Yeah. yeah 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 but he again he didn't he like he was like i have no idea how i turn this on how do i turn it off it's like yeah here you go uh in the fantastic news department shared with us by, I think Mark was the first one. Matt was was on board. Tony was there, too. There were many, 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 many of you who shared with us this fantastic news that Google has backpedaled on their Google Workspace G Suite my, mandatory migration thing. If you are willing to testify with them that you will use your legacy free G Suite account for personal use only, then they will give you, you the legacy G Suite uh, account for free forever, or at least for free again. We don't, we can't say forever because, you know, <laughs> we thought it was on here on the video. What uh, a fish shake. <laughs> for, for, the, for, for everyone that is not watching <laughs> uh, for the, for the majority of the audience, 
Pilot Pete, do you have a fish shake to share? Oh, boy, do I ever. Because, you know, they, I, I got it. Maybe I should have been more impatient. Uh, you know, patience grasshopper, right? Yeah. The, uh, the the fact remains that I I saw it coming. I went ahead and put my billing data in there so it, the legacy would continue on as it went from there. Sure. But it turns out um, I, I already do have my own server that I lease for my personal website and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of already paying for email. Yep. Anyway, yep. in there. So I migrated out of the Google Workspace G Suite, uh, whatever, yeah. whatever other name they've given it over the years, and migrated all of that back over to my my server. So Got it's it. now managing my uh, email. Um, if uh, anybody knows a good divorce attorney, I can put on retainer. <laughs> Please let me know because that stale may be coming. No, uh, Mama was not real happy with uh, with the hiccups that go along with transferring mail servers. No oh, matter dude. what you do or how you do it, the fact is, uh, you know that as you pointed out at one point, Dave. Three four days later, there's still an occasional email hitting the the old yep. Google IMAP server. Well, and uh, we uh, presume that it was probably a, a, just a cache DNS. It was pointed in that direction, but uh, uh, that was painful. I have swapped it over, uh, and I'm going to remain. And now that uh, I can go back for free, I'm, I, I think I'm just going to leave. You're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, what I would recommend is that you go in and tell, like, like do the the jump back to free, which you can do yeah. It, yeah. if if you haven't. So no, so to catch everybody I up, them, I want it free. Okay. Right. Yeah. You can now go into your Google, either your G Suite account that you haven't migrated, which you need to do something about before the end of this month. So you've got about a week. Uh, but but by June 1st, they will auto migrate you over unless you go in and and do this attestation that you want to keep the free account and that you're using it for personal. And then it and then it will just put you on that. But even if you had already migrated to the will be paid in the future account because they were, they give everybody four months free from when you migrate uh, anyway, just because, uh, well, because they wanted to hedge their bets, I think, and try to figure this out. But once you, uh, if you've done that, you can undo it. You can go in and, and change back to, to that. We'll put a link in the show notes that, that sort of walks through a few of these things, but um but yeah, it's back to free, and I, I do I do understand your your pain, Pete, migrating my family away from the MacObserver dot com email addresses that they had used for you know my my children their entire, entire lives, life. yeah, and my my wife for you know the last twenty plus years of hers. I understand the uh, the need to perhaps put a divorce attorney on on speed <laughs> dial because that was not a pleasant thing. No. <laughs> No, I just, I just want to do this. Yeah. But for what, for, for what it's worth, what we wound up doing again, you know, I, I created an IMAP server and then mama already had a, uh, her own free Google Gmail. Account. Sure. And so she uses that as her main aggregator now and goes in and, and sucks all the mail in from the yeah. Harmon one. And, uh, she has a work email address too, pulls it all into there. And then she has the Gmail app on iOS to consolidate it there as well, which she has actually really fallen in love with. So that's yep. the good thing that's come yep. out of it. The Gmail app on iOS is pretty powerful. It, it is. Yeah. If you're, if you're not, if you don't want to stay tied into using mail, Apple's mail, then yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, I was happy about this for ob- for obvious reasons. I have, you know, the family, the, the a family domain there, and and several others. So it was, yeah. it was nice. Well, I'll definitely need that link to go back in and, and do that attestation. I, I yeah, just so you preserve it, because if you yeah. want to move to it in two years, having that account it's there, it's there. Yeah. yeah, and I have one of mine that I moved away from Google years ago when I moved to Fastmail. I like. Like you were saying, your wife did. I have all of my email from everywhere sort of funnel into one box. And that's the box that I've had on Fastmail now for years. But it used to be that domain. And it's a personal domain of mine. uh, But that domain used to be on on G Suite before I moved it to Fastmail. And so I went into that one, too, and did the attestation so that I've got the I preserve the free account. If I ever need to move back to it, well. And I can do that. So yeah. I would just love to be a fly on the wall, though, and know what kind of blowback Google got for I, trying to start charging money for something they've had free for years. I don't think you need to be a fly on the wall. I mean, you could listen to this show. You could well, read every <laughs> well, you could read like every tech yeah. blog out there, which yeah. just yeah, it was a stupid thing. I mean, I get what I get what they're trying to do, sure. but it came through in the most ham fisted is a, is a <laughs> kind term. Yeah. Like I, I this was like shoot first and and then decide whether or not you want to ask questions at a later date. <laughs> like I, it was, I, it doesn't make sense to me. You're, you're fishing. Ready fire aim. Yeah, ready? yeah. Not even it was like fire. Fire. What, aim. what happened? Uh, maybe we should get ready now. Yeah, who pulled the trigger? <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a trigger. Like, I, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to uh, you want to take us to Russell, John? <clears throat> yes. Um, so Russell says, just through a quick tip about charging iPhones on MacGeek at nine twenty seven. Thank you. Um, here's another quick tip for when you find your phone hasn't charged for some reason and you need to get it charged as quickly as possible. Since uh, since the iPhone six plus there has been a fast charging mode. Connect a high powered USB charger using a USB C to phone. I think he means lightning <laughs> um, cable. Uh, maybe it only works with Apple brand chargers. Maybe any brand. I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me, as I have only an Apple USB C twenty nine watt charger. If the phone is really empty, then it starts slow to protect the battery, but at some point it takes off. Similarly, once it gets to mostly full, maybe 70% or so, it slows down again. If you want to do this, then be aware that heat is produced while charging, and you may need to take your phone out of the case that insulates it thermally, or the thermal protection will cut in and reduce the charge rate. Yeah, I've actually been getting a heat warning as of late. The The sun's coming out now, so... Yeah. Um, if I have it mounted in the car, which has a dark interior, at some point it'll say, I'm too hot. You see a little thermometer on the phone and it's like, I'm I'm not going to work until I cool off. And it's like, oh, okay. So where are you? Is this while it's charging in the car or just like if you lay it on the Yeah, the so dash? I have a, a, I have a cheap mount. Okay. Okay. I wonder if a MagSafe mount would be less susceptible to this. I would guess it would. Uh, it could well, be because it, it maybe it manages the heat better than the the regular charging mode. Right. Well, I mean, my my it, my speculation is based on on the fact that Qi lines up or sorry, MagSafe lines up the Qi connector 
as like as best as possible, right? Mm-hmm. In the best scenario or best lineup as possible. So there's less charging power wasted to heat in the, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Barely got any Well, it also, okay. it has, it's the vent. You know, most, most of those chi chargers in the car are mounted on the vent. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get some cooling air there. One would hope. Right. <laughs> hey, is I yours vent mount, John, or no? Uh, it's a window. Oh, it's a suction mount. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll have to look through my bag of goodies. I, I think I must have one. A MagSafe one. Buried somewhere. Yeah. If you, if you don't, I highly recommend the one that we talked about a few weeks ago in the car, the, the Scotia. Uh, sorry. I, I, mm. I don't know why I started saying Scotia. For years, I've said Scotia, and that's the way it's pronounced. The, the Scotia MagSafe mounts for the car are absolutely fantastic they 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 really and i we have not yet seen a heat issue with it but we were traveling last weekend when we had that um that heat wave here in new england so we have not we, i have not seen 90 degree weather yet this Stand year Stand by for sunday I, yeah i'm aware yeah oh, it's coming <laughs> yes yeah it will it will happen i think tomorrow uh, actually or saturday yeah yeah, yeah. based right. on when we're recording this yeah oh yeah 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 so to continue um so he says, I just tied my old iPhone XS Max, large phone with big battery, from 20% full in a thin plastic case. The battery is at 83% of original capacity after well over three years, so I support Dave's view that fast charging, using a properly designed charging system, is not an issue for batteries. <clears throat> um, Interesting. I would tend to agree. I actually looked at my phone, and I'm at, I think, 84% yeah. after a couple of years. So, uh, all right. And then he did a test, um, at the start of the test, 20% full battery after five minutes, it was 28%, 10 minutes, 37%, 15 minutes, 45% and so on. So about eight to 9% every five minutes. Um, all right. So I guess the other thing you want to look for is, uh, make sure that the cable that you get is, is a good cable. Because um, you could run into charging efficiency issues unless you get the right cable. So how would you how would you advise someone to go and like what would qualify a cable as quote unquote good? Um, well, that's more for USB C to USB C charging. Okay, this okay. is USB C to Lightning. So I, I mean, you get the Apple cable. <laughs> But um, but, well, but I mean, it, it, but not just the Apple cable. Like, would you not recommend the Anchor cable? Because I use oh, tons sure. of those. Sure. Okay, all right. What, so what I'm what I'm saying is, some cables will restrict the charging level. Yeah, especially those USB C. Some of the, some USB C cables will not do like full hundred watt or more power delivery. Right, that's, right. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That. I, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just make sure you're you're buying one that does. Yeah, that, I think. Yep. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention, and where is it? Um, Yeah, now there's also iOS, um, uh, the the battery settings. Go to settings, battery, and you're going to see a couple of things here which may impact your charging speed. So one, they have low power mode, which I have off. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, And then if you click on battery health, so it will show the maximum capacity, It'll say whether it's a peak performance, which mine is, and then they have this optimized battery charging mode. Yeah. Um, you may want to look at that as well. Well, let's talk about what that is. Do you, do you want to tell them? You want me to take it? 
Um, well, it's right on the screen. To reduce battery aging, iPhone learns from your daily charging routine, so it can wait to finish charging past 80% until you need to use it. That makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've noticed lately several times, uh, I'll plug my phone in on the nightstand at night, and I'll go, hey, it's, I'm going to wait till about 4 a.m. to charge you up completely. It's like, ah, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice that it's warning you that that's what's going on so that you don't wake up at 3 and go, why isn't my phone charging Right, right. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if there's a way to is there a way to override that though? Let's say I've got an early go and I need my phone charged when I get up at three thirty. I wonder if you could override that. Uh you can turn that setting off. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's under battery and settings, you think? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's uh it it's battery settings and in, in, in the battery health section is the optimized battery charging. There you go. That's right. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Okay. So dumb questions. Not a dumb question. That's a it's a great question. Yeah. Hey, you found a quick tip this morning, Pete. And I realize our our fast charging was more of a conversation than a quick tip. So, but but that's fine. That's how the show works. It's all good. I I did. I I stumbled onto one and realized that uh, I hadn't used it in a long time. If who out there has gone, you know, I had that conversation with uh, Dave last week. And I needed the the link that he gave me, and we're and you and you wind up you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling, and you can't find it. Yeah. Well, guess what? In iOS, if you just go to Messages and and have all the contacts in there, and you go to the middle of the screen and you pull down, you get a little search window at the top. And in this particular case, I was looking for a Streamyard link that you had sent me, so I pulled down, went to that search window, and typed in Streamyard, and it gave me all the links to Streamyard and all the mentions of Streamyard in our conversations, and it lists them even by date. Here is the date, uh, you know, it was May sixth that you sent me that link. And really? I'm like, yeah, I'm like that was cool. So I thought I'd share that with everybody, and it's available also in the Messages app on on macOS. Okay. So okay. Next time you find yourself going, and you know, I know I had somewhere in that text exchange with Joe. Yeah. Right. This, you know, what, that's how you find it quickly, more quickly. So, I, you know, I'm not sure I knew that that, that that's a great quick tip. That, let me just say it that way. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Even a blind squirrel. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's a good reminder that, you know, these features that they add, um, yeah, makes a difference. Because I used to just scroll and scroll, and then you get four days back and you have to wait for it to load more. Right, right. And then it loads some more and you get some more days. So here's the thing that I do to, well, now that the search feature is there, I think I'll, I'll use it more. But what I'll do sometimes is if somebody messages me and it's something that I know is important and I don't want to search for it, um, create a new note and put it in there. So note is like my staging area for stuff that I should right. probably do someday. <laughs> ah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Listener Bob has a quick tip for us getting back into that realm. He says, if you want to print out a keynote or PowerPoint presentation, often you can tell the print dialogue to put four slides on a page instead of one. And it is still very readable, or at least it should be if your slides were going to be presented in a big room from far away Four up on a page should still be quite readable. And it's one slide, you know, and it prints takes a lot less paper than, than one slide per page. So 
Yeah, it's a good reminder that that feature is there. And I, I don't know that I ever would have thought to use it that way. So thank you for that. <laughs> Listener, Bob. Good stuff. Um, now, another, now yeah, it's funny, though, because not all programs will let you do this. So I was like, oh, that's a neat tip. Let me go on Safari and print. And it's like, nope. Really? Safari? Huh. Um, I couldn't find an option to change, you know, do like a four up or, or something like that. But then I opened Photos, and Photos, of it's, course, has it. <clears throat> Safari has it. Um, if you go to the print dialog in Safari right, and turn on Show Details so you can see all the settings, you will see a menu that, that if by default, will start with the name Safari, which gives you the options, the Safari-specific options for print backgrounds or print headers and footers. But then you can go yeah. down that menu to Layout. <sighs> There it is. And you change to pages per sheet, you know, and you can say four and you can kind of decide, uh, you know, what order. Call. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there for <clears throat> for most things. Well, for anything that's using the Apple print dialogue, it's there. Um, mm -hmm. Some apps have, you know, kind of inserted their own uh, <laughs> redirect in there. And, and that might. Yeah. 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 I think this used to be in page setup. Remember that? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Here, no, I see yeah. what they did. They folded it into uh, that's right dialogue. Yeah, it's just. I wonder if you can print to PDF that way. I bet you can. Oh, you know what? I'm willing to try this while we do the show. That's a because yeah. that's a great idea, Pete. So, what happens if I say paper handling? Uh, sorry, layout. We, yeah. we, I just I just told everybody how to do this. So I say four, and then I say uh, well, I'll just say open and preview. And I get a PDF in preview behind me that uh, sure enough has things laid out for up. So, yeah. yeah. So you could send a PDF that way to somebody so they don't have to figure out. how. To Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I love that. Wow. All right. That. That's Speaking the, of wine squirrels. <laughs> that's the quick that's Tuesday, man. I'm up there. I, I, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, I'm feeling lucky today. Man. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, keep swinging for the fences, man. You're doing good. Um, Kiwi Graham sent in a quick tip. He says, uh, it seems I just missed the memo about how much easier it is now to use split screen on the iPad. And so I'm going to read his note here because for me, processing it this way was was truly the best reminder that this feature Split screen mode on the iPad is now so much more intuitive, even though perhaps intuitive isn't the right word. It's it's easy to do once you know how to do it. Um, he said the, the first tip that I'll, I'll share is simply tap on the three dots at the center of any window that will present you. Uh, they, they, they show up just at the top of the screen. And uh, that's where you start this whole process. He said the second the second tip for apps that allow it is that same tap on the three dots gives the ability to create or select multiple windows for the same app. Think of it like Mac OS browsers where you use command N for a new window rather than command T for a new tab. Okay. I like this. The third tip. And for me, he says the most useful is that Apple mail and the spark mail app 
utilize split screen in slightly different ways to allow you to be drafting an email on one side while browsing through other emails on the other side. This is huge. Yeah, he says for Apple Mail, once you're in the compose pop up window, you can tap on those three dots at the top of the screen to choose to have it in split mode rather than in pop up mode. And then you get access to all your messages behind the things. And he says for Spark, which is his preferred iOS mail client or iPad OS mail client, he says you use those three dots to choose split screen mode and then choose Spark as the second app as well and draft your email in another window. So you're just reinstantiating the app effectively and and creating a, a new message in one of them, which is similar to what you do in Safari, because you can have Safari up multiple times and, and that that works very well. So thank you for this Kiwi grammar reminder that that, yeah, there's there's good stuff to be done with split screen mode. I like it. It's good. Yeah. And then second one of the day, another fish shake, because there are, there are times on that iPad when I need to get to the top near the top center of that screen and one of yeah. the apps I use for work and it wants to give me all the split screen options. And then what I haven't tried is to see if you could swipe that little menu up out of the way. I need to go back and look at that. But uh, boy, is that frustrating? There's time. I just need to get to that little center area. Up yeah. There those three dots. And it keeps pulling down those options that I want nothing to do with at the time. So uh, there you go. Yeah. And you had some, some tangent on that in the pre-show we were going to talk about. But I don't, do you remember I, what it was? I, I um, talking about the, uh, well, the split screen in the menu, not wanting it there. It, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it the, the thought I had when you shared it in pre-show is just that like apps are written for the device of today. And then when you get that app running on the device of tomorrow, the, you know, the developer needs to go back and those kinds of changes are not as easy to, to, to adapt for, once you've got the way an app works and all the paradigms are doing the things that they're doing and you've got this this flow, now it's like, oh, we've got to change the flow. You know, it's it's like the notch, right? On the on the on the M1 yeah. MacBook Pros. It's like, okay, well, now like if it's a if it's a thing that has a lot of menu items, you've got to account for this. And so yeah, it's it's just it they aren't the easiest things to account for. Yeah, it's fine. The things that drive developers nuts. The things that drive developers nuts. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, this is great. I'm glad you have this amazing thing for split screen mode, but <laughs> it's, yeah. it's where you, it's where you used to let us do things. And that's yeah. the issue, right? So if it isn't there, I guess my feature request is the ability to swipe that up and out of the way. It, right. Oh, have you tried simply swiping? I have, it up no, I haven't yet. I need to go do that. Uh, but I huh. didn't want to knock the microphone over. And thank you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> all that in the middle of the I, show. I so. think you almost knocked the microphone over while the theme music was playing at the in the beginning of the show. I heard. I heard something. Nobody there. saw me. You can't prove a thing. Well, I heard it, so I figured. <laughs> you know, it's there's that old there's that old, old rule in theater yeah. uh, where they say if you drop something on the floor in the middle of a scene, pick it Pretend. up. Yeah. Yeah. Because or the pretend you were supposed to. Right. Well, either one, but but <laughs> yeah. don't pretend that this thing you dropped on the floor is not on the floor because every single human in the room knows it's on the floor. Like, <laughs> they're looking right at it. They're looking <laughs> right. They've stopped it? looking at you and they're looking at the stupid thing that got knocked on the floor. So if you make it part of the scene, you know, for one show only, that's the way to do it. So yeah, yeah I always try to acknowledge those things that 
that are there. Speaking of mail, John, we had a quick tip from listener Ed, yeah? I think. Oh. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, hold on, hold on. There he is. I like this one. Same. Quick and easy. Uh, here's a quick tip I stumbled upon. I was going to compose an email on my phone, and as I thought about who I needed to include in the mail, I discovered a screen I'd never seen before. If you long press on the compose icon, the square with the diagonal line in the bottom right-hand corner, it will open up your saved drafts. So you can quickly hop back into a partially completed email. I usually write my drafts in notes or the iOS app drafts. This quick access is enough for me to rethink my workflow. And yeah, sure enough, um, for those that are wondering, how do you get a draft? Um, if you start composing an email and you abandon it, <clears throat> you'll, uh, I think on pretty much any platform, you'll get a, um, a dialogue saying, hey, you want to save this draft? And if you say yes, it puts it in your drafts folder, which you may also notice if you look in your mail client. So uh, that's neat. And actually, I did this um and I had a draft that was probably like five years old that I had totally <laughs> forgot about. So I'm thinking I shouldn't go look because it'll be like, wait, that whole thing about that deal. I sent that. No wonder mm -hmm. I never got that. <laughs> I have probably a hundred drafts out here. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take a look at those uh, this weekend. And I'm, I might or might not choose to do it with a cocktail in the other hand, because I'm sure there's going to be a few in there where it's like, oh, this is going to hurt. <laughs> I, I could be mistaken, but I think if you abandon an email on iOS, yeah. you don't even get that dialogue, it, but it automatically saves every yeah. so often into a draft. Well, all right. Yeah, I think I, my guess is that most and my hope is that all of these emails that I find in there are going to be like those things where it's like it, it started, it got put in drafts and then another version of it got sent out. So that's that's fingers are crossed. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, whatever. Like, I suppose there's a funny story to tell. I, I always, I, you know, whenever there's an issue or something, I, I just like, it's like the theater thing. I just try to acknowledge it. And like, you know, sometimes it leads to a, a more, uh, a, a, a better foundation of trust in the, the relationship when you show up and you're like, Hey, remember that thing I replied to you about two months ago? No, because I never sent the reply. You know, I screwed up. Yeah, that's fine. You know? Hey, one thing that I don't think I screwed up this week, though, is uh, we a while back, we grabbed the domain MGG.FM and I had this idea this week. I was like, OK, uh, I wonder if I could do something interesting with it. And I did. So if you just go to MGG.FM, it'll redirect you to MacGeekab.com and, and all that. And yes, emails to feedback at MacGeekab.com or work. That's 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 the preferred way to email us. But if you really want to save uh, your digital footprint and and type less characters, feedback at mgg.fm will also go to us. It'll mean that John and Pete will have to set up additional filters on their email like I have uh, now. But uh, but you're welcome, guys. However, the really cool thing that I did is that I wired it up so that if you type in mgg.fm slash episode number, it will bring you to that episode's page. So you don't need to think about any other URL structure. If you want to go to MacGeekab, well, if you want to go to MacGeekab number one, that's that's your choice. Um, it's not a recommendation. Do 
part. Don't do it. <laughs> but it's there, mgg.fm slash one, but like episode 100 is all right there. Like, it, or, you know, if you want to go to last week's, uh, last week's episode, the Synology one, it's mgg.fm slash 928. And it just brings I think right that was there for show 100, wasn't I? I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I can click on a link in, in the show oh, notes at macgeekgab.com and, uh, and see it. I'm trying to think. Does it, do we say, I don't know. I don't know. That, Not that important. Yeah. <laughs> I just seem to recall it. I might've been there for 100 because it was kind of a milestone. It was. Yeah. I just don't know that we knew each other. Was it a retrospective or? or then was it was a retrospective yeah. uh, about the computers that we had used. Yeah. 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 But that's back when we were playing nation states. We had that, that whole online game thing nation states that we were all playing in the geeks unite region so i forgot about that anyway so if you want to trip down memory lane or if you just want to find an old episode uh, you know because we said oh in episode 926 we talked about this thing mgg.fm slash 926 get you right there you have any other ideas about things that we could or should or might do with that let us know feedback at mgg.fm or you know mackeekup.com <sighs> Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Wait, feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Yeah, and if com is too hard to say, MGG.FM does work. So. Uh, you do and feedback our, at MGG.FM? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, and on iOS, if you cancel out, it does indeed say delete draft or save draft. Oh, it does. Okay. okay. I want, yeah, or maybe maybe there's a setting for that. Because I've seen it happen automatically, like where I haven't. Mm-hmm chosen to to do it but who knows there's a lot of safe setting yeah 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 yeah. cool that's my recollection all right well quick tips took 41 minutes and now uh we have a bunch of your questions to get to so we have actually some great stuff to do and the next great thing to do if it works for you mr braun is i would love to tell everybody about our three sponsors for this episode sounds good all right you know Spending our work days jumping from one platform to another for every single task is productivity poison. So if you haven't switched to our sponsor Coda yet, you got to check this out. Coda is the single document that brings it all together. Your valuable data, your plans, your objectives, your strategies, all in the same place on the same page. It's all at coda.io slash MGG. So if your best work is spread out across different documents and spreadsheets and a stack of workflow tools that you have to jump in and out of all day, you can bring it all together in a single Coda doc. You can integrate with the tools that you use every day and easily import from other platforms. So your Coda doc can be your single source of truth. We always talk about here, if you've got your data in multiple places, you never know which is the up-to-date version Coda solves that because everything's connected in Coda. Buttons can take action. Your tables can talk to each other. So an update in one place updates everywhere. And they've got templates for anything and everything. We've been working with one of them for a Q&A template. Yeah, for the show here, right? So that everybody can see the questions everybody else asks and you're able to vote on them. This thing's going to be awesome. With Coda, your team can operate on the same information quickly and efficiently. And right now, you can get started having your team all working together on the same page for free. Yup. 
Head over to coda.io slash MGG. That's coda.io slash MGG to get started for free. Coda.io slash MGG. And our thanks to Coda for sponsoring this episode. With spring in the air, it's a time of renewal and growth personally and professionally. As your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk with faster and for free. This is how we found Sadie. And look at what she's done with us over the last year plus that she's been here. It's friggin' amazing. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond. Because LinkedIn's got the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Once you add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring, then your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can prioritize and make sure that you're interviewing the people that you want to interview and not wasting anyone's time. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs can help you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. And did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Collide at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. Collide sends your employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Mac, their Windows, and Linux devices, and it all happens where they already are, right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations which care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable by your team, right? So instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. At Collide, they know end-users are IT admins' most significant untapped resources and are the key to solving the most challenging-to-fix security issues, including things like instructing developers to set passphrases on their SSH keys, right? Finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end-users how to store them securely, and then convincing your employees to uninstall those evil browser extensions that might sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved when you lock down devices and you can try collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices for 14 days, no credit card required. Visit collide.com slash MGG to sign up today. That's K O L I D E.com slash MGG. Enter your email when prompted to receive your free collide gift bundle after trial activation. And our thanks to collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you you're on a roll with some of this uh, charging and heat and all that stuff. So let's let's follow that up. Steve had a question kind of it's almost like a real time follow up question to the yes. quick tip that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Steve says, my fellow geeks, uh, other than the advantage of alignment, do you have an opinion of the benefits of MagSafe versus Qi charging? Uh, I have heard mentioned before the heat can be the enemy of battery life. Do you know if the higher power of a MagSafe charger with better alignment would be better than a low power Qi charger when it comes to heat or charging efficiency? I have the old Belkin 3-in-1 charger shown here, and it's a, a flat surface. 
um, I was considering this new three-in-one MagSafe charger as a replacement, and it looks like it spaces things out yeah. a little nicer. Am I overthinking this as I usually do? Um, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, from what I could tell, a MagSafe certified charger can get up to 15 watts, um, like Apple's advertising go up to that, uh, versus Qi, which I recall correctly, or at least the early ones that I have do about seven watts. So, um, now speaking of heat, though, this is neat. We, uh, uh, I, I sent a link to this here. Uh, Samsung Qi certified fast charge wireless charger pad with cooling fan. So apparently the smart people over at Samsung realize that heat kills. So, so you're right about that, but really you got, you got to check the specs. Uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to get 15 Watts or up to 15 Watts. Um, if you want to know how much power, um, is being consumed, you could get one of those nifty little USB a or USB C power meters. And it'll tell you some things, typically the voltage and the current, and if you multiply those, you get watts. So interesting stuff, man. Um, so yeah. Now, now there's also yeah. So let me link unless you already. Did. No, I, I'll yeah. take care of the links. Um, which we but put. They but Mackie they have an article account. also that goes into a little more detail. So I'll paste that in. But it's how to use your MagSafe charger with an iPhone 13 model or iPhone 12 model. So. So they, uh, they, I, they touch on some of the things in there, but go ahead. Do, well, my question is, do we, we know how much power Chi can draw at a maximum and we know how much power MagSafe can draw at a maximum. We've, we've got, you know, seven and a half. I think some Chi chargers will go up to 10 Watts. Um, but I, I don't know if Apple's devices do that yet, but like, anyway, you, you've got, you've got the, the draw of seven and a half or 10 Watts on Chi, and then you've got the draw of, um, whatchamacallit, the, you know, 15 Watts on MagSafe, but what's the output to the device, right? Because that's the, that's the part that matters, like the Delta between, 15 watts and whatever your device gets via MagSafe while the rest is heat, right? So that would be the real question is, do we have the ability to know how much of that power is actually getting to the device versus being lost in heat in the transfer? And my understanding with Qi initially was that it was very unscientifically about half. So the question is, does MagSafe because of all the things we talked about earlier, does that make it more efficient and therefore, you know, by, by nature of efficiency, there's less, less lost in, in heat in the transfer. And I, I think, I think it does, but I can't find anything that supports that. So I, I, I could just be making it up. Yeah. I, well, if you I, got a circuit diagram, you could kind of compute it. My double E days are, long behind me but well I'm could you though good. i mean with this i don't think the circuit would tell you the iphone would have to tell you right the the recipient device would have to because the 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 chi charger or the uh the magsafe charger doesn't it only knows how much power it's sending out it doesn't know how much power the device is receiving right so right. Uh, so like yeah someone needs to write an app for that 
it would yeah an app like i wonder does coconut battery show you if you're if you're mm-hmm. wired in well but if you're wired in you're charging over the cable and yeah. all of this goes out the window <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i don't know i like, i don't know the answer here but i i would like to but yeah if you knew the value of the coils and you knew the right formula you should be able to calculate the yes. heat loss that's fair yes that's fair right yeah of course of course yeah and the distance between them so you know whether you've got a case on your phone or not uh, will absolutely make a difference here you know we we like our MagSafe cases, but they are also insulators at some level um, mm-hmm. because that's how, you know, physics works, at least in our timeline here. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. that's how physics works in, in, in the category of cheap and worth it. Um, when these three in one chargers first came out, I think I did some sort of Google search and, and bought one through one of the big box retailers. And it came directly from a slow boat from China. Surely. Yep. It, and was it, this a just waste of 35 or 40 bucks? I mean, the, the one that's on the screen right now is a, is a Belkin. Yeah. It's $150, $149.99. And, um, you know, Belkin makes good stuff. They do. I'm sure, sure it works and, and all that, but uh, mm-hmm. don't don't go cheap on that. Yeah, you're going to just regret it. I, it lasted about two now, days. Now, kind of related to the last question. Yeah. Um, I just lost it. It'll come back to me. Uh, okay. Okay. Then I have a quick observation. Yeah. Anecdotal. I think the new Apple Watches, I went to an Apple Watch 7 about three or four months ago. I think the new chargers with that, for some reason, are faster. Yes. Than the old chargers. Yes. Okay. So it isn't just my. No, it, char- my, it my charges faster. My old chargers seem to take longer. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know if it's the charger or the watch itself is capable of being charged faster. Well, it seems to me when I put it on the old charger, it charges, but not as fast as if I put it on one of the okay. new chargers. That's, okay. that's Pete's purely observational. I haven't hit that stopwatch and seen. Yeah. yeah. Well, let us know folks, if, if you have experienced that or if you know anything about it, uh, feedback at MacGeekUp.com. We'll research it during the week too, but, uh, and you can also join our discord channel at MacGeekUp.com slash discord. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Like, like I, I am still not using wireless charging next to my bed. Um, because it's, I, I plug in. Well, it's just too. I, I haven't had brush it right. I haven't slightly off. You we wake up with a dead phone with a dead phone. To it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't found the right form factor of a MagSafe b- beside the bed charger that that is truly MagSafe. There are some Qi chargers that have magnets, and I realize that's also the description of MagSafe. However, there is a, a distinction there where MagSafe is is lining it up in a very different way, and and yeah, the the ones that I've used the Qi chargers with magnets for alignment that I've used have not yielded consistent results or reliable results. No, yet. you're you're never going to get that. A wired connection, whether it be networking or charging, is always going to be faster. Well, it's not the speed. No, I, it's it's not the for speed. Efficiency. It's not the efficiency because I've got right. you know I'm going to sleep for five plus hours, right? It's mm-hmm. that like Pete said, if if that phone gets knocked or nudged, it stops charging, and then you wake up with dead phone and hot sometimes uh, right. like hot dead phone because it's like <laughs> you know yeah it's bad news yeah, yeah. so 
That's why I think that three and one charger you had up on the screen earlier in the show was yeah, there it is. Um, it's the, this is the Belkin one you mentioned, yeah. John, the, the three in one wireless charger with MagSafe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably the best form factor there is if you insist on doing a MagSafe charge on your nightstand. Yeah, no, I. That's, that's my personal opinion only. I, no, I agree. It, it's it looks to be a you know it's just a small little disc, and there's the obviously by the name three in one. It it's got MagSafe for your phone, a puck for your watch, and then. Uh, a, a chi pad that in their pictures they put airpods on but you could put anything chi on there so yeah just don't be tempted to put your phone on that puck or uh, yeah otherwise yeah. you know yep all right where are we here we put your work on? your personal phone on the magsafe one and your work phone on the puck so you know you may not have to answer any calls tomorrow that's right <laughs> that's right that's right uh i am super proud remember i the listeners will remember I don't know, five or six weeks ago, mid episode, my uh, air purifier here in the studio decided it was time to overly clean the air, perhaps because Pete and I were both in here together. So now I have my podcasting focus mode, which uh, keeps really all it does is it stops all notifications except notifications from you guys and my other two podcast uh, hosts. And it's great. Like it works really well. Well, uh, I created an automation on my phone that uh, runs without interruption. You know, it doesn't have to prompt me. I told it not to prompt me. I, I, in the shortcuts app, I created an automation that when podcasting focus mode gets turned on, it turns off my HomeKit compliant air purifier. And when podcasting focus mode is turned off, it turns on my HomeKit uh, air purifier. And it's the sensible air purifier, but, uh, but that now it's great. So I have no, I, I don't have to worry about that thing. It's quite automation. I love it, man. Yeah, it's great. All right, John, uh, you want to take us uh, your dealer's choice. You want to take us to Craig or to Bob? Um, <clears throat> I like, uh, Craig. All right, Craig, it is. Let's do more it. More interesting. Yeah. All right. So Craig says, in order to connect a RAID drive to my 2015 iMac running 12.3.1, I had to install SoftRAID. The program has several times presented the error in the screenshot below. The error is not from the RAID drive I just installed. It is from an SSD that I have been using for some time now. I ran this utility first aid and it detected no errors. Yeah, no, no shock there. Um, I know you guys haven't much faith in the smart status, but... I was wondering if this is something I should be worried about. The drive has seemed to work fine for several months. Also, if SoftRate found this smart error, why hasn't my system picked this up before? Sure. Um, and the error is as follows. Disk protected to fail based on smart data. The SoftRate monitor has detected a disk which is 20 to 60 times more, more likely to fail over the next two to six months than a normal disk. The prediction is based on the smart data retrieved from the disk. Please launch the software application to determine which disk is predicted to fail, which I assume he did. Sure. Now, what it sounds like it doesn't do, which is annoying, is tell you which smart parameter. Um, some utilities will let you read the raw data. For example, the one that I like is called Smart Reporter. And embedded within it is something called SmartMon Tools. Uh, or you can compile that separately on the command line, and that will show you all of the smart values. Um, now, I don't know how smart they are about <laughs> detecting what's haha. Yeah. Um, I don't know which parameter set 
them off. I mean, it could have been. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's bad blocks. It could be over temperature. That's the thing that will set rate off if you're looking for it. Mm. Um, the utility I found that does the best prediction is Drive DX. Oh, from um, our friends at Brinery Fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows you both the raw, and then it'll give you like a compilation. And sometimes, like I had this happen, I, I took a really old drive and plugged it in, and it immediately came up and said, whoa, dude, this drive's about to fail. It's a 10-year-old Hitachi one gigabyte drive that I still have in my Tropo, and it hasn't failed. It's like 10 years old. Unbelievable. Fault tolerance is your friend with a drive that old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have, yeah, double redundancy in that sure. thing. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Um, so that's what I got on that. Of course we have, um, oh, what did Brian say here? I think that Brian said this, uh, replace the drive. Best not to mess around with it. Um, I'd like to know a little more. Yeah. Personally. I, I, I waffle back and forth between those two things. Like there are times when I see a drive start to fail and it's like, all right, I just go on Amazon. I, you know, buy its replacement and I implement the replacement. And then other times I'll, I'll, you know, be like, well, let me, let me take it out and let's see, let's run some tests. And, but when drives, drives rarely get better. And, and, and in fact, they rarely plateau, although I have seen it happen. So I like the term rarely is is anecdotal, meaning, you know, you'll see it get start to get worse and then it it doesn't continue to get worse. That's that's the rarity. Most of the time when it, it starts to to take a nosedive, I've found it like. It keeps yeah, and I had going. I had that once with with uh, my Synology at first. It was like, oh, there's one bad block. And then I'm like, mm, OK, yeah. Let, let, let's wait and see. And then, you know, like I looked a couple of days later, it was like, oh, now there's 50 bad blocks. And I'm like, okay, we know where this is going. Gotta go. <laughs> yeah. 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 It grows but like I mean, a cancer often. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, if a single block fails, usually the drive will remap it. But right. That's right. And you, you won't even know that it happened. Um, yeah. No, that's a, that's a fair point. Right. You won't know it happened and it probably won't trigger any smart reports unless you've got things like really tight. But mm-hmm. um, but you're right. Yeah. Seeing, you know, single blocks here and there reported as failed. It, it it's it's good to be aware of so that you can sort of monitor the patterns. But that's not mm-hmm. the worst. But like you said, when you start seeing, you know, when it's every week you're getting reports like, oh, yeah, we got another 50 blocks. It's like, cool. The, so the question I away. have is, yes. am I doing enough? My Synology drive sends me an email once a week that says, my, my Synology disk station sends me an email once a week. That sure. Says, all, all drives seem to be operating normally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just leave it at that. Or do I need to go in there and, and grind those suckers down? <laughs> well, you know, the nice part about it, a, 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 any sort of redundant system in a Synology, you're probably running single drive redundancy. You know, Drobo's generally are single drive. You can do double with each of them. Uh, the nice part about that is you don't have to, you know, you have, you have a little bit of a safety net there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I tend to trust for my Synology, I, I trust the emails that I get from it every week or every month or whatever it is that say, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, things are, things are good. 
no problem. Keep going. Things are going swimmingly. Yeah. So carry on, chap. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I, I basically follow that same path. But as soon as it starts to tell me about something, that's when I look, and I'll even look historically. You know, because I manage synologies for a couple family members or whatever, and if I get one, and it's like, oh, this is it. You know, one hundred and twelve bad blocks. It's like, all right, well, let me look at the last three months. Have we been at one twelve for three months? And if so, like, you know what? Let's let's let it ride. Let's see what happens. <laughs> but if it's growing, it's like, okay, it's done. Oh, it does tell you, I hey, I found some bad blocks this week. Yeah, because I've yeah. never gotten anything. But hey, you're doing fine. And, yeah, I mean. Knocking wood here. Right. It's it's a lot of years with those same drives. I want to say two, three years now. With nary yeah, that's, a, nary that, a hiccup. That, that's pretty normal. I find, uh, Mike, as people know, my experience with Iron Wolf drives has been t- t- horrible. Like they, you know, I get like two years out of them. But the, and, and consistently, I'm not sure why. Uh, I know others have had decent luck with them, uh, including you, John, right? Like your Iron Wolf drives have have been okay, right? I think I've had one fail mm. in the number of years that I've had them. Okay. But, but you know, other than the Iron Wolves, and even those have lasted two to three years before they start giving me trouble. But, you know, otherwise, yeah, five years or, or even like John said, you know, 10 years, although that's a 10 years with a Hitachi drive. I just have so many bad memories of those dying. Hmm. Yeah. They made crappy drives for a while. <laughs> Uh, well, I think it was actually, I pulled it out of uh, one of my old Macs. So it was uh, co-branded, so it was Hitachi Drive, but it had little Apple on it. Right, so right. Think- yeah, Hitachi was making Apple's drives for a while. And that was a, was it, was this a rotational drive, right? Yeah. Yeah, they they loved that click of death, those those Hitachi drives. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, again, you've got some fault tolerance in your, in your Drobo, so I think you're all right. Uh, where are we on time here? We got time for a little bit more. Let's... Let's jump. Oh, yeah. You, you brought up a good point here. Um, listen for the click of death if they're mechanical drives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you hear that happening, like that jumps and you'll know that if you've never heard the click of death before, you'll know the drive makes a clicking sound that you've never heard, you know, and it it's loud and snappy and it doesn't sound right. And if the drive still works after you hear the click of death and sometimes it does, uh, you know, it's the click of impending death. Treat it that way. Your 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 first priority now is to make sure you have all the data off of that thing. And then once you either have that or have that in process, the second priority is to buy its replacement because it's going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I hesitate to mention it, though. Why? But, uh, because because I think it's strictly a uh, uh, Windows slash DOS thing, but it's. Yep. Steve Gibson wrote spin rate, yep, which is an amazing utility for disks with problems and recovery. If, if your drive craps out on you, you can go get stuff off of it that that otherwise it, it would never boot. You couldn't get to it, that sort of thing. Spin rate's amazing. He's been working for many, many years on the follow-on to it that's supposedly bootable across or usable across all platforms. Mm. Um, and I have I, I lost the bead on where exactly that was. Yeah. But if you have access to an old uh, uh, Windows system or uh, uh, Unix, uh, Ubuntu, Unix, or something like that, this thing boots into its own DOS and gets right down to the very gut level of spinning drives. And it turns out, uh, I, I do remember him saying this on the newest version, that it it inadvertently does wonderful on uh, on solid state drives. No well. kidding. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have even thought to try it on that. I mean, no, I guess yeah. if I were yeah. if I were back against the wall, I might think to try it. On that. Yeah, it, actually, it, it accidentally uh, works wonders on solid state drives, too, huh. uh, which he was pleasantly surprised. By. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, cool. But I, I don't know where that stands. I haven't listened in way too long. To, yeah. Right. To where he is on that. Right. 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 But spin right's cool. It's spin right is cool. I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. All right, um, Brian wrote in and asked us, he said, uh, I don't know where it is, he says, I'm looking for a recommendation on a Wi-Fi app to help me figure out what's going on around my house with neighbor's Wi-Fi and the like. What can I use on my iPhone to scan for other Wi-Fi networks? And the unfortunate part is that Apple's APIs do not allow third-party developers to tap into the Wi-Fi radio at that level. So you don't get to really, they don't get to really see the radios. And as such, there are no third-party apps to do Wi-Fi scanning on the iPhone. There is, however, a first-party app that you can download from the App Store. It is Apple's airport utility. And then once you have it installed, you go onto your iPhone, you go to settings, airport utility, and you turn on Wi-Fi scanner. Then launch airport utility and you will see in the upper right hand corner of airport utility Wi-Fi scan hit that and it will be the worst, most rudimentary Wi-Fi scanner you've ever experienced. You get data in there that is uh, requires you to make charts and graphs and, you know, with circles and arrows on the back of each one so that you can understand what it is it's telling you. But the data is there. It will show you SSID and signal strength and channel. And it's a nightmare to try and actually figure out what what important data it's telling you. But that's the way to do it with your iPhone, unfortunately. Uh, with a Mac, uh, my favorite app these days is Wi-Fi Explorer. It's part of SetApp. Uh, it's from Intuit Bits. I think that's the right URL. Yeah. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to it. It it The way it graphs things out and the way it shows things that really helps to make sense of what's going on, where conflicts are, you know, all of that good stuff. So um, so that that's that's those are the two apps. You've got airport utility on iOS and and then for me, I like Wi-Fi scanner on the Mac. There's others though. John, which one are you using these days? Um, I still like iStumbler. Okay, because it's just been out forever and it it does sure. lots of things. Um, the other one that that may be good for this though, Dave, is I've mentioned this before is NetSpot. Oh, okay. So Nets and they actually added a Wi-Fi analyzer. So in the beginning. So what, the, what this program does is lets you do what no, what's known as a site survey, which um, is probably what you need. So what you do is you make a map of your house or, you know, yeah, each story, make a map, you know, try to get as close as possible. I actually, you know, pulled out a ruler and all that. Um, once you get a map, you then run the site survey mode and you basically pop into each sector on that floor and then say, okay, sample everything you see here. And once you're done with this activity, you'll get a very nice visual representation of the signal strength at various areas. So that'll probably show you, um, well, they have a Wi-Fi scanner too. So you could use that to see who's close to you and, and, you know, blowing mm. you away. 
or the site survey. So that that's that's my two cents. Interesting. And you know, you don't have to break out a ruler, John. You can use the iPhone yes. Measure app, right? Which is pretty magical. Um, it's yeah, it's pretty crazy how how it can do what it do. There are too many people with big brains on this planet. <laughs> it's like, I'm stuff. glad for it. Yeah, oh, it's I, awesome. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, so it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, uh, let's see. Do we have time for one more? Yeah, take us to Bob, would you please, John? I think Bob's a good way to to wrap things hey, up. Even though I where think where did it, that question go? Where did Bob's question go? It's in Evernote, but I'll I'll read you Bob's no, question. No. And you can you can answer it. No, the last one, Brian. I, don't, let's see. I filed it because I file all the questions. It's uh, we, yeah, we, but I don't see it in the agenda anymore. Oh, it's in the agenda. It's it's above us, but it's fine. Oh, okay. I'll read Bob's question. It says, uh, "Hey, Dave and John, I hate to bother you guys with this, as I know how busy you must be, but I really need help finding out how to download YouTube videos. I'm responsible for showing some videos at a large Baha'i conference." That we are having next week, but I'd prefer uh, to just have the video on my hard drive instead of having to rely on the Wi-Fi and all of that uh, with my iPhone. He says, I've done quite a bit of searching on Google, but I haven't really found a perfect solution yet. Any help would be appreciated. John. Um, I would say my vote, my favorite one that I found, Dave, is Downey. Okay. Uh, the good news is if you have setup, uh, you can get it from there. Oh, okay. All right. So, and I've, I've had it work fine for me. It puts a little, little icon in, in, the, in, in the menu bar area and you just go to a YouTube page or I guess any page that has a video and you click on it and it downloads it to the folder of your choice. Cool. How about you, Pete? Which one do you use? Um, hang on. Okay. I, oh, good. Okay. I thought I had muted myself and I was off screen. No, you're all <laughs> looking good. for something else. <laughs> so I, I've used Downey and uh, also in setup, which I didn't realize Downey was in there, John. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, Pull tube uh, is also in there. And uh, but, uh, they're pretty cool. I don't think it's limited to YouTube. I think it's any video site. Yeah. You take that url and you put it into that app and it goes and it grabs the video off of that off of the url for that page yep. uh, if there's video there it, it's pretty versatile although i do find that I, there's been times when i go there and it goes yeah I, I can't get the video there's there's a problem i can't get it and i've never researched really why sure that. sure i guess your other option is to do a screen capture slash record obviously that's a the long way around right yeah but that would i mean that would get you there for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, in the old days, I would actually search through the source for the page and search for like .mp4. Oh, yeah. And copy the link out of the source and then paste it into a new page and it downloads the video for you. Yeah, that would work. I mean, yeah, in the old days that worked. Nowadays, like, I don't think. Yeah, they're chunking things and streaming it and not just barfing the entire contents of of the file at you so yeah but yeah no that makes sense in the old days uh brian monroe in uh, the chat room at mackeekup.com slash discord 
says, well, if you want to do it legally, you pay for YouTube premium, which is it is it. it many people might not know that that's, you know, a feature of YouTube premium. So that's that we'll put that in the show notes, too. That's great to know. Yeah, I um, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why it doesn't. It's still I still don't have a good justification for it, but I, I still use YT dash DLP, which is the terminal uh, command line equivalent. I just, you just brew install YTD-DLP and then you invoke it that way. I am 99% certain that Downey and PullTube would be leveraging the, the open source code base that, that this is based on because why would you reinvent the wheel? Right. You know, and right. they're just putting a wrapper over it, but, uh, I'm always wanting to choose my destinations of things. And I don't know why I use the terminal. I gotta, I gotta just install Downey or something. It's stupid. Uh, I don't know. I, I get some satisfaction out of like pasting the link in the terminal. Well, how many people have made lots of money putting wrappers on terminal commands? Right? Oh, I mean, for that's sure. The beauty of it, right? Well, so and, and good on them. And yeah, and I don't like, and yes, good on them because it's good for us. You, you yeah. know, Apple is a company who has made a lot of money putting wrappers on terminal commands because every bit of, of like system preferences on your Mac or the settings app on your iPhone is a wrapper over things that you could do with terminal commands on the iPhone. You'd need a terminal, which of course yeah. is a whole other topic of discussion, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, yeah, I, I, it's ridiculous that I'm I, that I have set up. I have access to those two apps that you mentioned, and why? And yet I still use YT DLP. There's no Which somewhere I, I was going through the notes. I noticed John wrote back uh, to one of the questions or quick tips something about the fact some feature went away, and he goes, "Well, you can still do it in the terminal." And I don't remember which it was, but so if there's a feature or something that you want, John, you may I don't know if I've jogged your memory or not, but if there's a feature or something you want, chances are good. It's there in the terminal. It's like you said, there's yeah, it's, it's yeah so you, much you, more versatile. You right. pretty much set up the next question. Yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, okay. So we didn't get there yet. <laughs> I don't know that there is a next question, but uh, next time we will have a next question. That's for sure. It's, uh, but it is, it is time to bring the band in from the outside. We are, we are well past time, but it's good news because we have a next question. And that will be the, uh, you know, on the agenda There's another for, show then. for next week. Yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff. Now you have to do another show. Now we have to do another show. So 930 will exist. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Hey, Pete. Yeah. You're doing a thing, man. Speaking of another show. Yes. Yeah. So uh, fair warning. Uh, it, it is explicit. But uh, it's two former, pilots talking, right? Two pilots talking. It has to be explicit. Of course, it's explicit or federal yes. law. I'm not sure which, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so international former, maritime law. Pete. Yeah, yeah. there's something like that. Yeah. That's right. So another former Harrier driver uh, and I, we were in a gun squadron together 30 some years ago. Oh boy, do I feel old saying that? Uh, call sign Fig, Chuck Newton, and uh, and myself. Uh, repeat, uh, we're doing a show called. So there I was, which is how every great aviation tale starts. I like it. So if you go to so there I was dot us, no hyphens, no nothing. Uh, you you can hear the inaugural episode, warts and all, blowing into the mic, mic getting knocked over, birds in the background, uh, and and we talk call signs and it quickly goes off the rails. It goes south fast, but. <laughs> 
uh, and we will try to tighten it up, particularly with the acronyms. I noticed that we use a lot of acronyms in the show, and uh, but that's part of why we're doing it, so that people can become familiar with all yep. those acronyms that we use. Cool. Why? And uh, we had fun doing it. And it first shows just the two of us. Uh, we promise to bring in lots and lots and lots of aviation raconteurs who will tell the hilarious, the tragic, the incredible. And uh, we, we hope to have some fun with it and, uh, and share some of the some of the blessings of aviation that we've had with uh, with everybody. Well, I'm, so. I'm, I'm, I'm a subscriber. I'm in. I'm, awesome. I, I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm oh, let me say up front. Thank you to you, Dave, especially for all the technical support uh, and pleasure. work that you've given me up up front uh, to get this thing uh, launched and off the ground without having to do a reject. <laughs> we didn't do a reject to take off yet. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, I, I, I still if I had known that it was two Harrier pilots, I might have said I can't be involved in this because yeah, that's right. too crazy for me. But uh, but we're going to let it pass for now, and it's yeah. it's going to be okay. Send the note out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for sending in all your questions. As we mentioned a couple of times during the show, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you can send in more of your questions and tips. We'll have some cool stuff found next week. In fact, we have a huge list of cool, cool stuff found to get through, so we're excited about that. John, you have anything to share with them before uh, before I play the outro music here? Any, any no. places to find us or anything? All right. Well... Keep uh, keep having fun. Check out our sponsors that we mentioned in the episode. Coda.io slash MGG, LinkedIn.com slash MGG, and Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E.com slash MGG. Stay subscribed if you would. If you aren't subscribed, please subscribe. Tell a friend about the show. That's That would be amazing. John, are you sure you don't have anything else to share today? Mm-hmm. I don't think I do. Like I think Pete does. Don't you, Pete? Well, if if you insist, I can, I can give you one piece of advice that has served me well throughout my aviation career. Don't get caught. Made up. That's good advice. <laughs>